0: I'm Scott Bliss, and this is Interview. Joining us today from his office in Birmingham, UK, is Andrew Dubber. Andrew is an academic, author, public speaker, blogger, music reviewer, radio and music industry consultant, podcaster, record collector, DJ, and producer. He is a reader in music industries innovation at Birmingham City University. He's an advisor to Bandcamp.com the author of both The 20 Things You Must Know About Music Online and Music in the Digital Age, as well as the founder of New Music Strategies, a music think tank and strategy group. Hey, Andrew, thanks for doing this. No problem at all. Andrew, in your most recent book, Music in the Digital Age, you do a great job of describing five media ages, the oral, the scribal, the print, the electric, and the digital. And I certainly get the evolution from speaking to writing to printing and to broadcasting. But what is it that's so fundamentally different with the fifth age, the digital age of media?
1: Well, I think the thing to remember about the fifth age of media is that it's as different from the previous age, the electric age, as the electric age was from the print age, and the print age was from the scribal and so on. So the the interesting thing is not necessarily that it's more different, but that it's as different. And a a really good way of thinking about this, uh, particularly with respect to the music industry, is the difference between the music industry in the electric age was that it was all about recordings and broadcasting. And the main thing about uh, the music industry in the print age was that it was all about publishing and printed sheet music. And so when you think about the evolution from sheet music to recordings and broadcasting, that's a radical transformation of how the music industries work. And then you think... But if we go from the electric age to the digital age, we're just going from CDs to MP3s. And this is just a change in format, surely. And my argument is, no, it's actually much more interesting than that. This is not about just we're buying something that's a little bit different than the thing that we used to buy. The entire infrastructure, the entire legislation structure, the entire context, how consumers use the the product, what people do with music is different uh, as much as what the industry is about. And what's really interesting and in fact you can just follow the money the people who are making money in the print age were the publishers the people who are making money in the electric age were the record companies and the broadcasters so you go well who's making all the money in the digital age and you find that who you thought the music industry was is not the music industry the people who are making money from music are people who work in aggregation people who work in places like last fm spotify pandora those kinds of companies soundcloud bandcamp that's the music industry the music industry is not the record companies anymore now we can still walk into a record store and buy a cd just as you can still walk into a music shop and buy sheet music it's just not the main way in which commerce is being made around the music industries anymore
0: been a lot of conflict and turmoil in the music or the, the record industry, and the industry seems to blame that on file sharing, in essence on the theft of property or in the violation of copyrights. But you're really suggesting that there's been a much more fundamental change than that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, they're trying to play the same game on a different. I, I think of it as, as a, like a billiard table or a pool table. They're trying to play exactly the same game, but the the, the table has changed shape, uh, and and there are different lumps on it than there used to be. It's never been a level playing field for anybody. It's always been to somebody's advantage. But where the lumps and the and the and the dips used to be, now they're somewhere else.
0: You make an interesting point about CDs in your book. You say that CDs are the last hurrah of the electric age. And yet what confuses me is that they store their music or their data in a digital format, the ones and zeros, not the bumps on a vinyl record that a needle would read. What makes them a part of the electric age and not the digital age?
1: What's really interesting about CDs is that most people think that they're analog. Most people go, should we have uh, CDs or should we have digital music? Uh, And and there is this this kind of weird opposition set up between them. And you're right. CDs are entirely digital in terms of how they store music, but they are a physical product. And and in that respect, they're almost like a bridging technology. They're, They're a creation of the electric age industries that ushered in the digital age. And that's kind of what's interesting about them.
0: So in a way, is it the CD's thingness, the fact that it's a physical disc in a plastic cover with artwork, that makes it of the old age and not the new
1: it's one of its strengths i have to say i mean this is not about um uh, electric equals bad and, and physical equals bad and digital equals good um it's just that the way in which the environment is shaped uh the the, the things through which people use music and and what they use music for is changing and i'm not necessarily advocating that, that one thing is better than another um and i think one that each thing has its strengths and it, it has its weaknesses. And the strength of CD is its physicalness. Because there are some things that people just like to have and they like to hold. I think records had that as a stronger strength than CDs have it. But CDs do have this kind of characteristic of of physicalness. It's very rare to, you know, wrap up and give to somebody the gift of an MP3. But you can make a gift of a CD. And so that's a characteristic that it has that whether it's lost or not in the digital age is, is a kind of an interesting argument to have. But it is something that it is characteristic of that medium. It's a kind of an essential quality of a CD that you can hold it in your hand, but it's not an essential quality of digital music.
0: Is it the internet then that changes everything? Not necessarily digital data or thingness, but the internet as a medium.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about digital data is, and it is the digital data that's the interesting thing as much as the internet, because once you even if you've got a CD, it's digital data And the thing about that means that digital data is not bound within the medium itself. Whereas with uh, vinyl, you can't take those grooves off the record. CDs, you can. You can rip a CD onto the computer and that makes it copyable. It makes it shareable. It makes it compressible. You can do things with digital media that you can't do with analog media. And it's the digital thing that enables these kinds of activities. Um, The internet just... I guess, kind of amplifies it.
0: But even if we go back to the introduction of the iPod or the MP3 player in early 2000, didn't that have a big impact? Or are you saying that ultimately they have more in common with a CD than with a fundamental change?
1: I don't know that I am. I think that um, we learn to use a technology and we decide what we want to do with it. It doesn't automatically spring into the world fully formed. Uh, the, the kind of the uses of media are socially negotiated. I think when when the telephone was first commercially implemented and when radio were first commercially implemented, they were used for for the opposite things than they're used for now. Radio was about point-to-point communication. It was shipped ashore. And telephones were about sitting on the party line and, and in many cases um, to listen to a concert that was happening in the town hall down the end of your street. And so we were using telephones as this kind of one-to-one many entertainment medium we were using radio as point-to-point communication now we decided over time that that's not how we wanted to use those technologies and now we use them for the opposite purpose radio is now the one-to-many communications medium and telephones are one-to-one conversational media but that doesn't change the characteristics of radio waves and it doesn't change the characteristics of the telephone what it changes is the use so what's happened is not that the technology has changed at a particular point or that the internet has made us in a particular way. What we've found out is what these things enable, what, uh, what possibilities they offer, and then what kinds of uses that we want to put them to. And, and kind of socially, we've decided that the internet is largely about conversation.
0: In your book, you suggest that what we really need to do is to stop and to think about what music really is in the digital age. So what
1: is music in the digital age? In a sense, it's what you want to make of it. But what I really want to push is not that you have to think what music is and then do that. What I suggest is think about the medium on its own terms and then what do you want to do with that? Uh, The example I give in the book is um, the idea of a theatre director at a time when television comes along. So a theatre director works in a particular context. They have certain expertise about plot and character and lighting and props and you know all these sorts of things within the context of theater as soon as you put uh, point television cameras at that and you watch it on a tv set at home it's not actually that interesting and it's not until you think about the characteristics of the medium of television and apply all of those kind of understandings about plot and character and, and you know props and lighting and all the rest of it but in a way that understands the medium. It's not until you start doing that that you start making TV shows. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop being what is essentially a theatre director, but it applies those same skills in a way that's what I think of as medium appropriate. And that's kind of what I'm urging, is not don't be a musician who records albums or, you know, composes symphonies or whatever it might be, but do that in a context that understands how things are mediated and the, the interesting thing about that is that anybody who works in media necessarily understands the phases of media which are the composition, production, distribution, promotion and consumption and they understand how those things work. You're not going to do anything that's inappropriate to those things. If you're working in the electric age for instance and you make records you're not going to make a nine hour record because it isn't compatible with that medium and the way that that medium is consumed and, and anything like that. So you act accordingly with the particular characteristics of that medium. Now, when the medium changes, you go, well, what are the characteristics? What does this enable? You know, what are the affordances, uh, to use, the, I guess, the technical term, what are the affordances of this media and how do I use that? And that opens up possibilities for the musician that might be different and, and quite often are different than what you do with the medium of records or the medium of broadcasting or the medium of sheet music. And it's not just about how do I advertise And promote my stuff on the internet because the internet's not a marketplace any more than records are a marketplace and and saying you know what's your internet strategy is like saying what's your telephone strategy because all you're doing is talking about people communicating with each other but if you think of it as being more than just a marketplace and more than just a, a promotional platform and you start to think about about it as the way in which I do music, then you start to come up with, with, I think, more interesting answers.
0: If, as you say, the internet is a conversation, and that it's not really based on supply and demand or scarcity and so forth, interpret that for us in terms of a site called Bandcamp. What is Bandcamp, and what does it allow musicians to do with their work?
1: Well, Bandcamp's a really interesting one. I'm I'm on the board of advisors for Bandcamp, and one of the reasons I'm on the board of advisors for Bandcamp is I think that what they're doing is phenomenally good and what they do is they understand that people want to make records they want to make albums because musicians like making things in the same way that i, I guess artists like exhibitions uh, here is a collection of my work and i and i present it to you that's kind of the the statement the, the piece of discourse that goes around a record release but it understands it in the context of a new medium in which sharing discussing linking embedding Uh, listening to and then choosing to pay should you wish to. I mean, there's Mike Masnick from Tech Dirt has a really good way of describing this. He says, connect with fans, then give them a reason to buy. And that's how you make money from music in the digital age. And that reason to buy might be gratitude. I mean, there are lots of people on Bandcamp who the, the price of their album is zero or anything above that that you'd like to pay. And what's surprising about that, even if it's a $5 minimum, is people choose to pay more quite often. And the only explanation that I can really come up with for that is gratitude. This is something that I value. This is something that I think is worth it. And it's something that I want to contribute back to. And that kind of possibility is opened up by the technology. It's, it's the code that makes that possible. Whereas, I mean, there are online services that I think of as being orientated towards older ways of thinking. I mean, I th- iTunes, is, I think, is a really good example of this. iTunes is sort of held up as the, the pinnacle of all that's possible in the um, in the digital age. iTunes just replicates a shop. And in the sense of people making things and there being a fixed price and they're being, you know, you go to the shop and then you browse the selection and then you buy the, you know, the CD and then you take it home. That's being replicated in iTunes. And I think they're making a phenomenal amount of money, don't get me wrong. Um, and I think that what they do is... is incredible in the same way that i think what amazon does is incredible it's just in terms of scale and that's something that the internet allows them to do but i don't think they've gone quite the whole hog there yet and there's the possibility to kind of think what else does this allow us to do but there's all sorts of restrictions and and i guess fears that are being catered to because what's the kind of the bread and butter of iTunes and and i guess amazon to to a large extent are the interests of what I think of as kind of the older electric media, the the, the record companies.
0: So let's talk about SoundCloud. Now, that's another online community and has reportedly been growing exponentially, adding something like a million new users a month. But it's different, though, from Bandcamp in that, at least at the moment, it doesn't offer a market.
1: I I love that you call it a community. I, I really like that idea about SoundCloud. SoundCloud sort of imagined itself when it first started as a tool for professionals, a kind of a behind-the-scenes thing. If I'm working on a track and I want to work on it with you, what I'll do is I'll do my bit, then I'll upload it, upload it to SoundCloud. And then you can take my SoundCloud file that I've shared with you privately and, and then we can work on it together. And again, this is one of those things that got socially negotiated. That's not actually what most people wanted to use SoundCloud for. What seems to be the biggest use of SoundCloud is community forming. For example, my son is an electronic music producer, and he puts every track that he makes, the first place it ends up is SoundCloud, and and it becomes a social object that his kind of peers discuss. It's available to listen to. Anybody who wants to listen to it can listen to it. But it's it becomes the thing around which conversations about music production take place and it's an open conversation anybody can join in and say I like the way you did this or how did you get that sound but that seems to be kind of a really interesting and like you say community use of something like SoundCloud which isn't something that anybody would think of if you were just starting what we want to make is is something where people can put their music out where anybody can hear it and start a conversation about it but that's what SoundCloud's ended up being to a large extent and that Ability to do the timed comments I think is really interesting because you can actually say this is the bit that I'm speaking about right now and threaded comments about that particular moment in time on that that track. I think it's a really interesting thing to have happened to them, and yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't know where it's going to go from here, but whether or not they want to put uh, a sales mechanism in, I kind of I hope they don't. In a way, because I think that what people are finding is that they use SoundCloud as a tool to put music in a way that people can hear it and discuss it and comment on it and develop it and share it and get to know it, and they can use it as a uh, as an embeddable piece on their blog and so on. and The temptation with any of these sorts of services is start to kind of add features. And a lot of people think that adding more features is a way that you improve a product. But actually what SoundCloud does is what I sort of equate with being like a pair of scissors rather than a Swiss Army knife. And when you want to cut paper, a pair of scissors is a much more useful tool than a Swiss Army knife. Features don't actually add to its functionality.
0: Let's take this interview as an example. It's important, I suppose, that we're recording it digitally. But it sounds like it's more important that it will then eventually be posted on the Internet at which point it will become a social object. and what do you mean by social object? And what impact will that have on the life of this interview?
1: I, I really like to think of things as conversations online and conversation starters. And anything you put online, whether it's a Flickr photo or a YouTube clip or whatever, it's valuable in the extent to which it forms conversations. By itself, if you just put things on the internet, it's like writing a book and sticking it in the library and then coming back a year later and finding that nobody's checked it out. But if you put things on the internet and then people go, well, what's interesting about that is and then start a conversation, then it has value that that people can kind of uh, intuitively understand and respond to. I think people are hardwired for narrative. We always have been. We're, We're storytelling machines, essentially. And so anything that we want to do in a particular environment, we want to do in the service of telling ourselves and telling other people's stories. We make meaning I guess is kind of the the upshot of that. But we've got the opportunity now with the internet to find things and make meaning from them. And, and anything you post online, whether it's a Facebook status update or, you know, a photo of your kids or, or whatever it might be, that's essentially seeding conversations. And, and if you just put up a photo of your kids and nothing happens, then nothing may as well have happened.
0: So being able to embed a SoundCloud player of this interview into my Facebook or your Facebook or onto your blog etc. Is that what you mean by a social object and using that object to then facilitate conversation?
1: What I mean by social object is that people don't just connect. They connect about things. There are there have been social networks that have sprung up online that are just about collecting friends, that are just about making the number bigger. But that that isn't social in the sense of sociability. It's not social in a, in a sense that's meaningful. And ultimately, those services tend to kind of wane and disappear. And the, the social networks that thrive are the ones that understand that, that it's about connecting about things. When We don't just have profiles, but we have places within which we can share and discuss things. Then there's a reason for the sociality to take place. So, for instance, if you put a photo of your kids up on, uh, on Facebook and your friends go, that's a really lovely photo of your kids incidentally your dog in the background is doing something really funny and then the conversation becomes about the dog doing something really funny what's being talked about is the photo but it wasn't that you told you know here's something funny about my dog but here is an object around which we can have a conversation what shall this conversation be and I think that's the kind of thing with putting music up on SoundCloud or Bandcamp or you know putting a photo on Flickr or whatever it might be there is the opportunity for that to be the seed of a conversation, it might not necessarily be what the people are talking about, but it is why they, those people are talking. And I think that if you put your attention there, that's what's interesting about the internet as a way of connecting human beings together, because it does give you a, a context within which those sorts of conversations can take place about things that we make and share.
0: You know, earlier you mentioned a formula. CWF plus RTB or connect with fans plus reason to buy. And in your book, you also mention a similar idea, I, I think, which is hear, like, buy. But in a way, they almost sound like the concept of build it and they will come. Tell us a little more. What do you really mean by this?
1: I'm going to start somewhere slightly different and then bring it round to that. I don't think that musicians have the right to earn money from their music i think what they have is the opportunity and i think that's a different thing it's like if you think of a sculptor works on his back garden on a big hunk of rock carves it into a um into a you know, a work of art of some description, puts it on the street outside his house and and says to passers-by, now give me money. It's not the greatest business strategy in the world. And it isn't thinking about how people make meaning from art. It isn't thinking about how um, the commerce of sculpture happens. And so I think the same thing is true with music, if what you want to do with your music is make a living from it, because let's let's face it, the majority of music is made not for making money. People sing happy birthday to each other. We sing to children to help them learn. Uh, there, there are lots of reasons to make music that aren't about, I want to sell you something. But if you decide that the music that you make is for the purposes of selling something or or for making money or for making a living or making being a musician the way in which you earn, then you have opportunities That allow you to do that. And so the opportunity used to be, I've made a thing. In fact, I've made a thousand of them. And now I want to get them out through record shops and I'm going to get wholesale cost from that, but I'm going to have to do sale or return. And then there's, you know, those those are the kind of the opportunities and uh, parameters within which... Physical music distribution took place. And there were risks involved in that. And I can tell you that as somebody who ran an independent jazz label, we'd make a thousand CDs and we'd be lucky if we broke even on them. And it's hard work. I mean, it was never, there was never this golden age of independent music uh, that has been destroyed. It was always hard to, to sell a thousand copies of a CD. I mean, it's hard enough to give away a thousand copies of anything. But what you can do is if you connect with fans, because you can directly connect with fans now. And this is an opportunity that independent musicians now have. And you create meaning for them. And that's the thing that ultimately people are paying money for. They they want meaning, whether it's something in their hands or whether it's some idea or whether... I mean, the, the most common thing that people say when you talk to them about what meaning has your music had for people, they tell you stories about how when audience members come up to them and say, your your album helped me when my father died. Now, that's not about the commercial value of the album. That's about meaning. And so it's those kinds of meanings, those sort of personal, emotional connections or, or just sort of fitting into people's lives that is... The reason that people give money, it's, its um, I mean, money is just a measure of value. And that value isn't the worth of something or the cost of something. It's value in terms of meaning. And I think that's where this kind of give people a reason to buy, and you know, is, or, or an opportunity to buy, I think is even a better way of putting it. Because you, if you connect with fans, you connect at a meaningful level and then you go... And here are some ways in which you can give me money, buy my CD or here's the T-shirt or you know subscribe to my thing or whatever it might be. There is that kind of way in which people can symbolically repay the value that they've, they've gained from it. Here like buy is a slightly different concept in that uh, music's kind of unique, not entirely unique, but, but nearly unique. In that it's it's one of the only things that you don't buy it first, then take it home, and then figure out whether you like it. With a book, it's very it's very rare that you go to the bookshop, read the book, then decide to buy it and take it home and 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 read it. Anything that you buy from the supermarket, uh, you pay for it, then you take it home, then you consume it. With music, this is why radio is such a great promoter of of music because you get people hearing it in its entirety and. Over time, they grow to like it. Now, that's true of the catchiest pop song or the most difficult piece of avant-garde jazz. People become familiar with it and they become comfortable with it and they build it into part of the soundtrack of their lives and that's how it gets value that's how it gets meaning and then people will want to pay for it to either own it or to have that kind of that connection with it and i think that's that's kind of that's interesting and i think it's the only order in which that'll happen people won't buy music then hear it then like it or like it first and then buy it then hear it uh they hear it then they like it then they buy it And if you want people to, you know, engage in some sort of economically meaningful relationship with you around your music, you have to let them hear it.
0: The author Seth Godin says that the Internet replaces scarcity with abundance, really like you do as well. And he goes on to say that attention is now the new scarcity. And does that then have something to do with this whole idea of connecting with fans and creating social objects and enticing them to know you, maybe to buy from you, etc., based upon the quality of what you're doing?
1: Yeah. And I think the um, the step further from this is that the currency of the internet is interestingness. Um, if you want attention, you have to be interesting. If you want people to remark upon you, you need to be remarkable. And I think that's one of the things that Seth Godin sort of really nails is this idea of, and I don't think he uses this word, but, but interestingness is the kind of the key to it it's not about being novelty or being um, unusual for the sake of it but there needs to be some sort of story there needs to be there needs to be interestingness in order for people to kind of carry that story with them I I teach class sometimes in uh, music promotion and PR for my students and we're talking at a really sort of very small level how do you get a couple of column inches in a local community newspaper for your band that's going to play a concert well band plays gig in pub nobody's going to write about that bass player gets head stuck in chair that's a story that people will share and they'll communicate and you know it will get some some writing and incidentally these guys are playing so it's not about being ridiculous it's about understanding what motivates people to to want to tell your story and to communicate your story and that shareability plus that idea of social objects Plus, interestingness is what gets you that attention, I think. And it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, people people ask for the formula. You know, how can I get my music out there? How can I get it heard? How can I get it in front of thousands and thousands of people? Why aren't people liking my Facebook page? Why aren't people, you know, following me on Twitter? And half the time, it's, you have to ask the question, I don't know, are you interesting? Is your band any good for a start? You know, the, people sort of approach... Um, being in a band now as if the only reason to be in a band is famousness and that, that day one, first job is marketing. I mean, you get stories of people who would form a band and put up a MySpace page on the same day, not having learned to play their instruments yet. I mean, let alone, you know, writing any songs. And while I think there is an interesting story to tell around the trajectory of, you know, writing the songs and recording the songs and releasing the songs and that people like to follow that along and there is a kind of an interestingness about that, the, the presupposition that just shouting louder about what you do is going to get you more fans is nonsense you have to be amazing you have to be you know really interesting in order for people to want to share your story okay go are the perfect example of this their interestingness is about the way they make videos i'm not even a particularly big fan of their music but I love their videos and I love sharing their videos. And for me, that's where their meaning comes from. A cynic would say, well, that makes them a failure as a band and a success as an advertising agency. But actually what they're doing is they're making media. And that's what all of us are doing, whether we're recording records or writing books or you know making YouTube clips or whatever, we're all making media and then putting it out there in a way that hope, we hope will get attention. And that that attention will hopefully turn into some sort of value or, you know, economic value. I mean, with this book that you're talking about, I haven't even written it yet. I and mean, you're quoting from it and it's uh, it's not written uh, in the sense that it's a work in progress and I'm publishing it as I go. And this is something that's facilitated by the technology of the internet. These guys at LeanPub uh, who are, are doing what they call this kind of lean startup approach to publishing, you know, you you go live with what they call the minimum viable book and then get readers and get people talking about it and, and, and uh, get that conversation going and that gives people a reason to want to buy and the the price of my book is zero the recommended price is $1.99 the maximum price that anybody's ever paid is $30 and I don't know why that person paid $30 any more than I know why somebody else chose to pay 99 cents lots of people chose to pay zero and quite a few people have chosen to pay more than five dollars it's it's some value that is being seeded by the words that I'm writing and the and the conversations that are being started by that and that kind of attention uh, you know In its in its modest state, I mean, I made. I mean, it's no secret. I made nine hundred dollars in the first three months of this year, which is certainly not um, anything to be sniffed at. But I certainly wouldn't, you know, retire on it. But by giving something away, by making something available for free, or whatever you think it's worth, and that that worth equated to around about nine hundred dollars, which I'm more than happy with to be. honest with you because it's not the main way i make a living in
0: your first book though the 20 things you must know about music online you took a slightly different approach you just gave it away initially for free period right i mean it was just like take it here it is it's yours to use it's yours to give whatever
1: that free period was five years and it's still ongoing
0: and you did that because it then started or allowed a conversation about you and the book
1: is that the idea to be honest there wasn't that much thought that went into it and, and almost the other way around uh, was the way that it happened in that I figured out that the reason for doing what I did was about social objects, was about sharing, was about connect with fans, was about, you know, all those sorts of things. I, I kind of did it intuitively and I mean I also did it because it was just an assemblage of blog posts. So I wrote the blog posts knowing that it was going to be collected into a book. But the book, because it was available for free on my website anyway, I thought, well, this you know, it's ludicrous to charge for it. I don't think I would have sold a single copy. But if it's a convenient format for somebody to take it away as a PDF, that doesn't cost me anything. So why not? But what's really interesting is I didn't make any money from that book for obvious reasons. I didn't even give anybody a mechanism through which to pay me. You could either download it for free or you could, you know, get it from a friend for free or I'd email it to you or whatever. But that was the only way in which you could get it, essentially. I never made any money from that book, but I made money because of it. Because almost from that point onwards, people wanted to discuss the ideas that were in the book. They asked me to come and speak at things. They would pay me to go and keynote events and you know, say some of the things that were in this 20 Things book. Again, not, not retiring money, but I made more money because of that book than I would ever have made by selling it.
0: And is that the point? Does that then correlate to the independent musician? Is it that the music can stimulate so many other things like maybe performances, as well as maybe someone buying the track or the album?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There is no recipe, okay? There, there is no sort of, this is how you do it. You do 10% Twitter, 5% Bandcamp, you know, 11% Facebook, and you tweet this often and you, you know, you record this duration. There is no recipe for this. What you have to do is discover what makes meaning for your fans. And then what it is they want to give you money for and how much they want to give money for. So essentially, I mean, the great thing about this is people talk about the new model of music business. There is no new model of music business. There are just ways in which you can now assemble it and custom build it for yourself. Now, again, this, this doesn't work in everybody's favor. There are lots of people who aren't uh, gregarious, outgoing, chatty on the internet kind of talk about my stuff sort of people and they're not people who want to kind of share their process they want to go into a room and then come out with a finished product put it on a shelf and then say buy it or don't and the internet doesn't favor them and the internet favors the kind of people who want to go come on i'm, I'm working on a few chords here what do you think of it so far let's have a conversation about that that's who it, it, kind of, this is the sort of current environment seems to be more amenable to and it never used to be like this and so every media environment favors certain types of working and it just so happens that uh, that there are certain types of of work that are now favored by the internet environment
0: Andrew, thank you very much this has been great I look forward to your new books and I wish you well we've been talking to teacher author and consultant Andrew Dubber you can learn more about him on his blog andrewdubber.com this program is produced in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania by me, Scott Bliss it's available for free under Creative Commons with Attribution you can stream it You can download it. You can even embed it on your website. It can be found on soundcloud.com and iTunes under username WSBlissJr, WSBlissJR. Thanks for listening.